Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Lord, for being with us this morning. You know, the New Testament, Paul said... All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. When we say that word amen, what we're saying to the Lord is, yes, God, I agree with what you're saying. So let's practice that today as we've just pronounced a blessing. And all God's people said, amen. We receive today, Lord. We receive it. Not because we're worthy, but because you're worthy. Not because we deserve it, but because of your amazing and abundant grace. Thank you for being with us this morning. I see some that are new and some that have returned and some that haven't been in a long time. We just want to reaffirm our belief at Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God, and you matter. Your story matters. Your circumstances matter. Scripture says that he catches every tear in his bottle. He records all of our days. He has ordered our steps. He has numbered the hairs on your head. He formed you in your mother's womb before you were even a thought and a prayer. He knew you intimately then. He knows you abundantly now. Our God thinks you matter. And that is a message that we often forget. And this story, The Great Romance, it's really, we're just opening the Bible and we're reading the story and we're seeing how God has revealed himself. But that's the core of this story is you have an infinite God who's completely perfect and holy. He needs nothing, but yet he desires something. He desires someone to love outside of himself. And so out of that great love, he creates, he births all of the creation, all the universe in its complexity and its vast expanse. He creates all of this so life with humanity can be possible and a people who were made in his image, who are like him, would look to him and say, yes, God, you're worthy of my heart. You're worthy of my affection. He desires a people who would love him in return. And this is the great romance story. It is full of twists and turns, peril and victory. And it is an amazing story. And it's not just the story of the Hebrews. It's not just the story of the early church. It is your story and it is my story. We're in this together. And this is what I love about just opening the scripture and, and seeing what God has for us. Today, we're beginning to dive into the book of Exodus. We've gotten through Genesis. We're now in Exodus. If you've missed any of the weeks we're together, you can follow along on our website at vlchurch.tv forward slash give. Our messages are online or any podcast um, uh, app that you would have on your phone, either Apple or Google. You can find our podcast to, to kind of catch up here. But we're beginning to get into the book of Exodus is the story of Moses. The second song we sang today about Egypt it comes right out of this story. And, uh, and it's an amazing story. And we're, and we're not going to cover all of it in detail, but we're going to hit uh, through the weeks we're in Exodus, kind of the overarching theme through the story. But before we get into uh, the actual elements of the story, we need to understand first the foundation that helps us understand how this book reveals Jesus, because that's the goal. We see that Jesus is, is not just uh, a part of God. He is God. He was preeminent, preexistent, all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful. Everything that we ascribe to the Father, we ascribe to Jesus. Everything we know of the Holy Spirit, we know of Jesus. Jesus even said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. 
right? He is the expressed nature of God who reveals God to us. So if we are to properly interpret the Old Testament, we must do so in light of who Jesus is in the New Testament because Jesus reveals what the Father is like. So we're going to look and see how the book of Exodus, this story really of the Hebrew nation and the birth of a nation out of slavery, reveals Jesus. And we're getting into really the excitement of this great romance, the thrilling epic. You must, when you think of Exodus, you think of maybe Charlton Heston back in the day with his Timex watch on proud display as he's parting the Red Sea. You know, they didn't realize that he had the Timex watch on, and later they, they edited it out, so the newer versions don't have it there. But the original, you can see his bright and shiny Timex as he is parting the sea. I think that, that, that was a shock to many people, but it's quite hilarious to me. Um, but, uh, you know, this is the story that we're thinking of. And today, to really get into understand the book of Exodus, we must first understand what is called the Moses Paradigm. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, the Moses paradigm. This is your, your invitation to, to participate. I don't want to lose you here. But a paradigm is simply this. There's a couple of definitions. A paradigm is a typical example or pattern of something. It's a, a model that we can follow. It's, it's a pattern. Uh, we have many paradigms in our lives where we have a pattern of behavior or a pattern of thought. It becomes a paradigm uh, that helps create our perception of reality. A paradigm is also a worldview, a perspective underlining a certain subject. And there are many paradigms in Scripture. Now, we often will use this word, a paradigm shift. That's when something happens to cause us to think about a situation or a subject differently. It's a paradigm shift. And there are many paradigms or models given to us in Scripture that help us to have an understanding or an idea of what we should expect based on the information within that paradigm. So you're tracking with me? It's, so you, you're given a set of information, an expectation, to help you understand what's going to come next or what should be your understanding. Again, we have many underlying beliefs about many things that come out of these expectations. Um, my family, we just recently kind of went through a, a paradigm shift in our household. We we tried to set up rules in our house so that our kids don't grow up to be 40-year-olds living in our basement still addicted to video games with no purpose in life. So our rules are, you know, generated to try to help them be successful moral human beings that are an uh, added benefit to society and not a detraction from society. So that, that's our goal. And, uh, and so what we've done is we've set limitations on screen time in our home for, for TV and, and, and uh, video games and whatnot. But over the summer, we kind of, you know, got a little lax. We, we allowed, you know, rather than just having one hour in the afternoon, we allowed them, whoever was up first could watch a show, and then if someone else got up, they could finish the show with, with, with the sibling that was awake. And then before long, all four were there, and all of them were watching a show. And, and by the time noon came around, they still hadn't gotten off the couch. So we, we had a reality check. We're like, we have a paradigm, an expectation in our family that really the rules don't matter till after lunch. But by then, what, what good is only having one hour in the afternoon when four hours were spent watching TV in the morning? So it just didn't make sense. So we had to do a paradigm shift. We had to do a reset and begin rethinking about the stuff in our life, how we were doing things to achieve the goal that we wanted to expect. And there are many... Uh, many things like this that we deal with in everyday life in every different sphere. Uh, so the, when you're looking at the Scripture, there are also many paradigms in Scripture that help you what God is saying in many respects. There's a 
author and speaker named Jonathan Kahn. He's a Messianic Jewish rabbi. Uh, he believes in Christ. He preaches Christ, but he's also of Jewish heritage. He has several books out that will blow your mind away, but he has one in particular called The Paradigm in which he shows how the patterns laid out in Scripture have accurately, or could have, if you knew about them ahead of time, could have accurately called the events in World War II and the reformation of Israel, could have called the rise and fall of the Clintons, the uh, election of Donald Trump, and many of the events of today by following biblical paradigms already set forth in Scripture. It's a complete fascinating study, and he has many books. He has one called The Harbinger that talks about the paradigm of judgment, the pattern God uses to warn and also bring a nation into judgment that has fallen away from the Lord. And many of those very things, down to the amount, the type of trees that were knocked down, the, to the trees that were planted in its place, the type of stones that were cut and used as the foundation for the uh, tribute memorial 9-11, to the very phrases elected officials spoke in the, on the congressional record, all these events that happened in 9-11, he showed how this was an exact foretelling back in Scripture as the time the nation of Israel fell. It was fascinating. It can blow your mind, the specificity. He even, to the minute, was able to pinpoint the rise and fall of both stock market crashes pre-9-11 and after 9-11 through this paradigm. Totally fascinating. Uh, we're not going to get into that today, but you just have an understanding of God lays out often an, an imprint of things in Scripture to help us not only discern what the Word of God is teaching, but also give us a, a, an idea, a snapshot of what He's doing in the world. So before we even get into this book of Exodus and look at what actually happened in the life of Israel, we need to look at the Moses paradigm because that will reveal what this story is actually telling us. What this story and the events in the lives of the people is actually revealing to us today. And to find the paradigm, we will read it in actually Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, and also 18 and 19. And here's the, the Moses paradigm. Moses, as he's laying out the law, he's instructing God's will to the nation of Israel. Here's what he says. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And then down in verses 18 and 19, he actually relays what God specifically said to him in this prophecy. He says, God is speaking. He says, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell the people everything I commanded him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. So here is the Moses paradigm. God, even before Moses dies, is telling the people of Israel through Moses that one day a prophet like him would come. So in order to know what that prophet is like, you have to understand what Moses was like, what his life was like, what he did, accomplished. And that would cue you into whether or not this prophet coming was the one that was foretold. And I believe this, this uh, paradigm, this prophecy from the Lord did a couple of things. It substantiated the prophetic office in Israel. You had the priests that would do all the sacrifices and run the, the temple and the tabernacle. But then God would also raise up spiritual leaders and advisors, the prophets, who would hear from God directly, and they would give counsel to the people of Israel and the kings later along the line. You see how many of the prophets, they struggled because the kings often didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. So there was this kind of battle between the prophets and the kings all throughout the nation of Israel's history. But this is where the prophetic office was born. 
But this specific paradigm, I believe, does two things. One, through Moses, it was intended to tell them, to inform Israel, that there is coming a period of time where they will seem to have no direction from the Lord. There's coming a prophet like me that I am raising up from among you. You must listen to him. So God is telling Israel, there's coming a time that I will raise up a prophet. What's that tell us? That means there's going to be a time without a prophet. There's going to be a time where they don't hear. They'll have the word of God. They'll have the law. They'll have the priests. They'll have everything that was known. There's coming a time where they don't hear from God at all. And if you trace the history between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there's a period of 400 years where God is silent. There is no prophet in Israel. That's why John the Baptist's coming was so significant. So that is the first thing. The second thing that, that we see, it's, which is emphasized, is that he says specifically not to seek witches or sorcerers for any spiritual guidance, for any type of um, revelation, because the tendency is when you don't hear from God, sometimes we get very impatient and very desperate, and we go to other sources for wisdom. I mean, how many of you look at the horoscope or have looked at a horoscope? How many of you have, you know, looked, uh, looked up to see or been to a tarot card reading or have looked at to see what maybe the stars are telling you about? I mean, I remember back in the day, late at night, Dionne Warwick would be on television and say, call the psychic hotline, you know. It, and people do this. Why? Because they don't have a direct uh, connection to the Lord. They're not hearing from the Lord. And sometimes life is so crazy and chaotic, we go to other sources. We might go to a friend for advice. We may go to someone who has no... No godly influence, but we go to other sources. And this is what he's warning Israel. Don't go to sorcerers. Don't go to mediums. Don't go to witches. They're demonic. They will lead you astray. They'll bring destruction into your life. But don't lose heart because one day I'm going to raise up a prophet among you. So he's warning them and then giving them hope about this period of time. And, and this is important. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 10 and 12, it goes on to give uh, some more key indicators about Moses, and that also ties into what this prophet that's coming would be like. Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12, it says, There has never been, somebody say never been. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Somebody say face to face. This is significant. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. So here is the description of what Moses was like that gives us an indication of what the prophet that is to come would be like. And again, Israel had many prophets. Many of them did miraculous things. Elijah called fire down on Mount Carmel and raised a, a widow's only son. There are things that are known about prophets in the miraculous, but none of them, according to the testimony of Christ, were exactly like Moses. They did some miraculous things, but none of them knew the Lord face to face as Moses did. This also became a predominant messianic paradigm in Israel in the time of Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 14, it's the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is preaching all day. Imagine if you were in, in this time back then. Sometimes we get a little fidgety after an hour of preaching. These people were there all day. 
Now, they were sitting on the ground. They didn't have cushioned seats. They were on the rocks and the stone and the grass. They were, they were there all day. There was no amplification, so Jesus had to speak at the top of his lungs. You know, put yourself in the Middle East, probably in dead of summer. That's probably 100-some degrees. Not ideal. Sometimes it gets like that in here. But, uh, but you, know, you guys are gracious and patient, and I appreciate you very much. But they listened to him all day long, and at the end of the day, the disciples are like, man, how long is Jesus going to go? I mean, he's, like, he's, he's on a roll. He's, he's not slowing down. And so they're like, Jesus, um, excuse me, I think the people are hungry. And what they were really saying is, we're, we're hungry and we'd like to go eat now, you know. And, uh, and Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, well, you feed them. And then they're like, well, how can we do that? There's so many people. There's probably upwards of 20,000 people. They counted 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and children. Probably 20,000 people. They would have to work more than a year's salary in order to afford the food for them. And they're going back and forth about the food. Finally, Jesus said, just give me what you have. They hand him this little sack lunch. He separates the loaves and the fishes, feeds everybody. And it's an amazing miracle. And in John chapter 6, verse 14, the response of the people was this. It says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. Notice it does not say a prophet, because they had prophets. John was a prophet. Elijah was a prophet. Elisha was a prophet. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Malachi, they had prophets in their history, but this was a sign that fit the Mosaic paradigm the Moses paradigm of what this prophet prophesied by God would do and come in the time of Moses. So as we're reading the story of Moses, what we're really reading is not an account of Moses' life and the exodus of Egypt. What we're really reading is the, the resume of who the Messiah is, what he would be like, what he would do, and how we would know that this individual, this anointed of God, the Savior of the world, was come. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to relate to you the similarities between Jesus and Moses so that be today, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know in your heart that the prophet who God was raising up has been raised. He rose again the third day. And if you trust and put your faith and trust in him, you can have assurance of eternal salvation and a changed life. The life of Moses sets the expectation of what Messiah would be like. So here we go. Before Moses arrived on the scene, uh, if you read the book of Exodus, and I encourage you to read it uh, in your own time, get familiar with the book. Before Moses arrived, Israel was in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. No revelation of God after the death of Joseph. So Joseph dies in Egypt, 400 years of slavery, and there's no man to lead the nation. There's no revelation. Before Jesus arrived in Israel, just like we said a minute ago, Israel lived in occupied lands. They were, in a sense, slaves to other nations. At this time of Christ, it was the Romans. And they had been 400 years before the last prophet spoke. They had no revelation until the time of Christ. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says Moses was a special baby. His birth was unique. The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who is uh, uh, lauded as a famous historian at that time in his complete works in the antiquities, he records that Moses had a very unique birth. Amram, his father, received a vision or a dream that there would be a deliverer to come deliver Israel and that his son was that son and that he was born with unusual beauty. 
that there was not a child like him, which is why when the daughter of Pharaoh sees him, she's like, oh, this is a unique child. I have to keep him. He, he didn't lose his life. Not only that, but Josephus also records that his mother gave birth without any pain so as not to alarm the pharaohs or the Egyptians that, that another baby boy was born because at that time they were killing all the babies um, of uh, the male children of, I of Israel. So we have a, uh, a connection there. Um, Jesus also had an extraordinary birth. His birth was unusual. In John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and we beheld his glory. We have seen his glory. So Jesus himself had an unusual birth. John, uh, or according to Josephus, Moses' birth was heralded by an angel visitation. Jesus' birth was heralded by an angel visitation. Moses, according to Flavius Josephus, was the commander of Egypt's army. Jesus is the commander of the armies of heaven. Pharaoh orders all the baby boys to be killed at the time of Moses' birth. Herod orders all the baby boys two years old or under to be killed when Jesus is born. Pharaoh, according to Josephus, was worried about a prophecy about a deliverer of Israel who would take down his kingdom, just as Herod was also worried about the deliverer who would come. He warned the Magi. He said, when you find this child, come back and report to me so we can worship him too, because really he wanted to kill him. And because they didn't report to him, that's when he sent out the slaughter. Herod was also worried about his losing his kingdom. Moses grew up as a son of Egypt, but Jesus also grew up as a son of Egypt. Matthew 2, verse 12, knowing what Herod was about to do, an angel told Joseph to take his family into Egypt until that Herod died, and that way they would be saved. So Jesus grew up, for the most part, in Egypt. Moses was adopted by the house of Pharaoh, whose mother had no children. Likely she had no husband, would have been a virgin. Jesus was adopted by the house of Joseph, whose mother also had no previous children, and we know was a virgin. Moses had two revelations of his being, one as a handsome prince. Unlike anyone that was ever seen, jo Josephus in his writing says he was such a good-looking guy that people would stop on the street just to check him out. They would stop what they're doing and be like, whoa, you know, that's a good-looking guy. You know, that's kind of weird for me to think about. But uh, if we think about Jesus in his first incarnation, he's the glorious son of God whose beauty is unparalleled by anyone. The second revelation, Moses, after leaving Egypt and going out into the desert, he comes back as a lowly shepherd. In Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, we see Jesus made himself of no reputation. He gave up his divinity, his beauty, and became a servant, even to the point of giving his life on the cross. Moses was rejected by his people at his first appearing, Exodus 2, 11 through 14. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. He saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow servants. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did, and he flees. So he comes thinking he was going to be the rescuer, but instead he's rejected and he flees. Jesus was also rejected during his first appearing. John 1.10 says he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Moses, before Moses' ministry in Egypt, he was a shepherd, and Jesus also 
is the great shepherd. Moses confirmed the message of God's deliverance through signs and wonders. Jesus confirmed the message of salvation through signs and reveals the Father with wonders. John 10, 38, he's having this discussion with people questioning his authority, his identity. And this is what Jesus says to these people. He says, if I do his work, meaning the Lord, believe in the evidence of the, what's that say? Miraculous works. Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works that I've done. Even if you don't believe me, then you'll know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He's appealing to the Moses paradigm that the prophet who would come would do miraculous works. And he's saying, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the works and then you can trust what I say. Moses set people free from slavery to Egypt. Jesus set people free from their slavery to sin. Moses introduced people to God's name, Yahweh. Scripture says he had only revealed himself as the almighty God before Moses. Moses gave him a new name, and that was Yahweh, or I am. That he was revealing that he is who he is. Jesus introduced people to God's, uh, God's uh, another name for God, and that is Father. It's not just who he is, but it's who he is to us. Father. Moses met with God face to face and his faith gl or face glowed by absorbing and reflecting the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians 3, 7, uh, we, we read this account. Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration shined with the glory of God as he stood before the Father face to face in Matthew 17, 1 and 2. Moses spoke the word of the Lord. Jesus is the word of the Lord who spoke God's very own words. John 12, 49 Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who has sent me has sent me and commanded me to say what to say and how to say it. The very prophet who would come would speak what the Lord has revealed. Jesus is revealing the very things God has given him to say. Moses gave us the law and the covenant. Jesus fulfilled the law and the covenant. Through Moses, a relationship with God was possible but conditional. Through Jesus, the relationship with God is possible but unconditional. Through Moses, the gods of Egypt were destroyed. Through Jesus, the devil and his kingdom is destroyed. With Moses came the covenant and the law, but Jesus came new the new covenant in grace. Moses gave us the Levitical priesthood after Aaron. Jesus has given us the eternal priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Through Moses, the sins of the people were covered. Through Jesus, the sins of people everywhere are washed away. They're erased. Through Moses, God dwelled with the people in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Through Jesus, we have become the tabernacle and the temple of the Lord with Christ dwelling in our hearts. Here is the great mystery. Any good romance includes a little mystery. Here is the great mystery, the mystery of the Moses paradigm, the coming of the prophet like Moses, who would fulfill the paradigm or the pattern also brought with him a paradigm shift. He not only fulfilled the pattern, but with fulfilling the pattern, he brought with him a paradigm shift, a change in understanding from salvation only belonging to the Jews to now salvation coming to the whole world, from Israel being God's only elect or chosen people to all now who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved and come and be adopted into the family of God will become the seed of Abraham grafted into becoming inheritors of the blessing. The new prophet also instituted a new testament or a new covenant, new revelation. This also brings about a new relationship. This is where, and this is where it becomes personal for you and for me. This same Jesus 
that brought the paradigm shift in Israel regarding to how they thought about the word, the law, the, the, the message of Christ, salvation. He also wants to do a paradigm shift in you. He wants to take you from what you are to who you were created to be. From what you've allowed to define yourself as a person now into who he has defined you as the beloved of God. He wants to change your life from living a purposeless, mundane life like the way the atheists and the skeptics would describe, that there's no overall meaning, there's no real meaning to life, everything's just based on how you think, how you feel, and what you choose. And he wants to bring a shift into you living a predestined life with a glorious destiny. He wants to take the spirit of heaviness that we battle every day because of pain and struggle and suffering in this life, and he wants to replace it with a garment of praise to change your spiritual status from a spiritual orphan trying to find love and acceptance in a world that says they accept you but really rejects you because it wants to change you into its own image to a beloved child of God safe in his arms. He wants to bring a paradigm shift to every area of your life so your thinking stops stinking and you start breathing out true life in all your believing. So your thinking stops stinking and you start breathing out true life in all that you're believing. See, Jesus is the prophet that was to come. The Father said he was going to hold accountable those who refused to listen to what he's saying because Jesus is telling you the very words of God from the Father. The question is, are you listening to what he's saying? Jesus said something very important in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep, the ones that belong to me, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And no man will pluck them out of my hand. And my Father, who is greater than me, and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Are you following his commands? Are you leaning into his voice? Because he has revelation for you. He has a paradigm shift that he wants to bring into your life. He's ready to break the bondage and set the captive free. That's why Jesus came. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to pronounce good news to the poor, to set at liberty those that are in chains, set the captive free, bind the brokenhearted. You see, we all struggle with the curse of sin. We all struggle. I was sharing um, with a couple people this morning it's an awesome privilege to be a pastor and a speaker, but it's also sometimes a major struggle because God's word never changes. Truth is always truth, and it's, it's one thing to proclaim the truth. It's another thing to live up to the truth. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with weakness. We all struggle with things that aren't exactly in the line of God's will because we still have this flesh and this battle that rages on inside of us and in the world. And though God's word is true, sometimes it's hard to live up to that. But Jesus didn't give his life on the cross for us to stay stuck. He came to set us free. He came to bring freedom and deliver. He came to prophesy as the prophet, to prophesy our freedom. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Remain in the truth and it will make you free. He's come to bring freedom. He came to prophesy healing. He has come to prophesy wholeness over his children. Many of us walk through life feeling so shattered and so broken. And Jesus wants to prophesy wholeness over your life. 
He wants to speak directly into what is eroding the life he meant to give you. He wants to prophesy truth over your life so death loses its grip and life begins to reign. I'm here to tell you today, beloved, that real life is found in the following, but we can't follow until we first hear his voice. We don't have time to get into it now, but the miracle of Exodus would not have been so grand. If you think about the whole nation of Israel, some believe upwards of 2 million people left Egypt at one time. It was devastating. But the miracle of Exodus would not have been so grand if first the blood was not applied to the doorposts of the homes of the people in the Passover because the multitude would have been reduced to the minuscule and it wouldn't have mattered. Because the, day, the death angel, the angel of death, he takes no prisoners. He shoots to kill, and he never misses. And he's pitted against the people of God who are living outside a covenant relationship with God. The blood puts you in the covenant. It's only the blood of the Passover that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was able to help them escape the death angel. And it's only the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world that allows us to escape the curse of sin and death. It's the blood of the Lamb that empowers us to overcome death and discover eternal life on this journey of faith following Jesus. But each of us have a spiritual Egypt that God is calling us out of. What is your Egypt? What is your Egypt? What is your bondage that God is calling you out of, that God wants to bring you into freedom, to that place of rest? See, when God calls Moses, when God comes to him in that burning bush and he calls Moses, he says something specific. He says, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. I have seen their travail. Do you know, beloved, that God has heard your cry? He has seen your travail. And he's ready to send the deliverer. But Israel didn't find freedom until they trusted and obeyed and walked through the water. They had to go through the baptism of trial to get to the freedom that was promised on the other side. And many of us, we like the stories, we get encouraged by the truth, but when it comes to living it out, we're still stuck in Egypt in our chains because we're too afraid of what might be on the other side. God has pronounced your freedom. God has declared your rest. The question is, are you ready to apply the blood to escape the curse and follow the Lord as a sheep to the pasture? See, what the Moses paradigm reveals to us, beloved, is that when the enemy erects a stronghold to enslave, God raises up a deliverer to save. When the enemy erects a stronghold to enslave, God raises up a deliverer to save. And many of us are still in our stronghold because we haven't yet obeyed the call of God. We haven't yet followed the one who was sent. The Lord saved Israel through Moses, and he's saving the world through Jesus. And today, Jesus wants to be your savior, your deliverer. He wants to not just take you, but walk with you through deep waters. Psalm 23, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are 
not hanging out in heaven watching me go through it, but you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because the shepherd has protection and safety in his hands, in his arms. He wants to walk with you through deep waters and desert lands, through hills and valleys in this life to help you discover the very reason why you were created. And it's so simple, but it's so profound. You were created to be loved by God and to love him. To love God and be loved by God. This is why you're created. And he puts meaning and purpose in all you do when it's lived in the reality of who he is. So what is your bondage, beloved? What is the place of slavery that's still keeping you down? Keeping you subject to difficulty and pain and suffering. I believe just as Moses the prophet spoke the word of God over the nation of Israel, and they found freedom by activating their faith, God wants to speak a word, or a word over you to activate your faith and begin leading you into freedom. He wants to speak a word over your marriage, over your kids, over your job, over your health, over all your struggles. And what a powerful encounter when the people of God hear the voice of God as he speaks life into their pain. In the words of Jesus are the very words of life. The very words of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the words of God, in the words of Jesus, are the very words of life. And Jesus wants to speak life into your Egypt today, into your bondage, into your struggle. He wants to prophesy to the dead places in your heart and call it back to life. There's some of you, you have let part, a part of your soul, of your heart die because the pain has just been too much. And that pain and that, that death in your spirit is keeping you from finding the freedom that God has for you. And today I believe, beloved, he wants to speak life into that, to set you free so that you can find the rest that God has purpose for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, as we go into a time of response and the music begins to play, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. We're going to do something a little new today. As God sent Moses, he's also sent Jesus. Are you believing? Are you receiving? Are you walking out the promises and directives of Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? Are you saying, God, I choose to trust you over my own understanding? Have you cast your burdens on Him? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Cast your cares on me, for I care for you. The Lord cares for you. Are you hearing His voice? Are you casting your cares on Jesus? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lay down your heavy burden and pick up mine. He says, crucify your life with me. Whosoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. If you hang on to your life, your plans, your ideas, your wants, your desires, if you act as God in your own life, you're going to lose your life. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to find life. See, the cross of Jesus was the great equalizer. 
He parted the sea of your spiritual slavery so you could walk to freedom and dry ground. The question is, is are you walking toward that freedom or are you still sitting in Egypt fearful of the walls of water and what might be on the other side? Jesus is the answer and he's calling you today to trust in him because through that trust, you're going to discover the life that God intends for you. The overflowing, abundant life. The enemy wants to breathe death into your life. He wants to keep you in bondage and in slavery. But Jesus has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. The enemy wants death in your heart, death in your relationships, death in your family, death in your emotions, death in your finances, death in every area of your life. He wants to confine you to his plans to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has paved a way for you to experience freedom. Will you call out to him today? The Lord of heaven's armies wants to fight for you. Victory belongs to the Lord. We can have victory because his victory is our victory if you're in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror if you're in Christ Jesus. But often we just struggle in realizing that victory many times because we aren't fighting with the Lord and with the weapons he's given us. We're trying to use our own methods and our own ways. But today I just know for some of you, I know that God has been working on your heart and simply today, and just simply, if you would say, Lord, today I'm going to trust, no matter how it feels, no matter what it looks like, I'm going to trust you. Even when the world and everyone else says otherwise, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what you say. You're going to move, beloved, not from struggle to struggle, but from grace to grace and victory to victory. First, because he's going to give you a revelation of who he is. He's going to introduce you to himself in a way you've never experienced. But secondly, he's going to speak life into your circumstance and begin undoing all the damage the enemy has brought in. We've been traveling this journey of seeking the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And several have gone through our prophetic training. And one of the most powerful events in my life was the first time I encountered a prophetic word from the Lord. Simply where someone I didn't know who knew nothing about me asked the Lord, God, what are you saying about this person? What do you feel about this person? And they shared their heart. And when that individual who didn't know me had no idea what I was going through, spoke directly to the things with specific accuracy of what I was going through, what I was feeling, and the things I've been praying and hoping for. It was amazing. The presence of God was close. I felt like God was actually hearing me, that I wasn't alone. I felt like I could get up again and keep going, keep moving forward. And I believe that that same word of life that God spoke over me, the same gifting of the Spirit that God used in that circumstance, God wants to do today in some of your lives. You got just some things that have been eating your lunch, and you need God to come in and speak life to that. We've got three people here, Tony, Chris, and Aaron. They're simply praying, God, what do you have to say today? If you desire to have the Lord speak a word over you, and you want to believe that he is speaking, you want to believe that he has something for you, you want to believe that he is good, and that, and you want to put your faith in his word, and then after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Come down, and they're going to pray with you, pray over you. 
They're not going to ask you what's going on. They're just going to say, God, what are you saying? What do you want to say? And they're going to share their heart. I believe it's going to be a game changer in some of your lives today where you actually have an encounter with the Lord that you will never forget. We also have Janice and Dave up here if you need prayer for healing or any other prayer. They're here to pray with you. But God is speaking. The prophet that would come has come. He didn't just speak. He is speaking. He's speaking today. His sheep hear his voice. They know him. And they follow him. Are you ready to listen to the prophet? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because we know you are good. We come to you in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, in this place to speak, to declare, to call forth your purposes in the hearts and minds of those gathered here today. God, there are people weighed down by struggle and by past pain. There are people going through difficult decisions, through health issues. God, the world has so many fiery darts being thrown at us from the enemy. And often we don't have the strength to stand up against it. God, I pray that victory would come today. I pray, God, that you start unshackling chains, that the blood of Jesus would begin even now being applied on the doorposts of all of our hearts. Lord, that the Spirit of God would begin to move. We rebuke the spirit of death. We rebuke the spirit of infirmity. We rebuke the spirit of depression, of bitterness, anxiety, panic, confusion. Lord, we rebuke in the name of Jesus and all authority every unclean thing come against us. God, we just rebuke hopelessness. God, there is there is hopelessness in marriages. There is hopelessness in friendships. There is hopelessness in health conditions. God, we take authority over that by the authority of Jesus' name. We command it to get out and be gone in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill this place, Lord. God, there are people that are bearing sickness in their body because of a sickness in their soul. And God, I just pray that life would be spoken to the heart today, God. And today they'd walk free and clear of that malady in Jesus' name. There's an abuse that was never taken care of, God. There was a, a, a stain that was never healed, God, that they'd find freedom today. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, they've maybe been raised in church, they've prayed prayers, maybe even been baptized, but there is not that heart connection where they just love you and want to desire to, to serve you all their days, not out of obligation, but because of a realization of what you've done. God, I pray that that person would make that confession today, that they would say, I want to begin a relationship with Christ, and today they would encounter you for the first time. God, they'd be slain in the Spirit and filled with life in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.